Hi guys, and welcome back to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast. Today, we have with us back again, uh, Michael Choi, who is the author of The Delete Approach, Designing Errors for Learning and Teaching. And we are basically here to talk about, you know, how do we apply that delete approach to personal finance? So the last time you were on, we talked about metacognitive awareness, which is the art and science of thinking about why we think the way we do. And I thought that there had huge applications to to money, right? And I think there is a, a really good and very readable book which I recommend that everybody read, which is about the psychology of money, right? Really questioning why we make the money decisions that we make. Why do we invest the way that we do? Why do we spend money the way we do? So when we think about personal finance, I think we've sometimes we've seen some very reckless decisions. People make irrational decisions when it comes to investing, even though sometimes some of these people could be highly educated. But then because of things like ego or FOMO or greed, they act the way they do and sometimes like trade very recklessly in certain stocks. So that's on the investment side. But even from a spending perspective, I think all of us are familiar or you know are familiar with the idea of um, emotional spending, right? There are times where people are like, you know, even when we look at ads today on Facebook, it's sort of like, hey, you know, you got your paycheck, like pamper yourself, like indulge in something, something, something. So, you know, when we look at all these different marketing messages or like, and, and when we do, even look at our investment decisions, how can we best check ourselves so that we make the right financial decisions? Yeah, that's a multi-million dollar question, right? <laughs> a huge question. It's a huge question. It's a very complex one, I must admit. And uh, I, I mean, offhand, I don't have uh, a straightforward answer. I don't think there is. Mm. Um, having said that as well, I would think um, what draws a person into spending something, right? Into spending money for something. Mm. Um, and, and if you check in on that, right, actually there are some potentially some beliefs or assumptions that a person may have. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, if a person thinks that, oh, actually if I... I you know, wear this pair of earrings or I own this, you know, uh, jacket or suit or have this pair of shoes, you know, I'll be a little bit more well-liked. Mm. You know, I can post it on my uh, Instagram and so on and get more likes and so on. Mm. Then with that sort of assumption or, or beliefs, right, then it gets, uh, it gets into a never-ending cycle of spending more to uh, hopefully get more likes and so on. Mm. And for that matter, you start to realize that actually maybe people just like because they feel obliged to like it because you just posted <laughs> your most expensive sneakers and so on, right? Mm. So once you are able to check that and then build up what you call uh, metacognitive uh, awareness of your own and, and with that also metacognitive regulation, right? So you're mm-hmm. able to regulate um, your spending as well as also uh, putting a timeline to it, budgeting and so on. All that will come in. Mm. But awareness is important because you got to check the the belief system at, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I'm also going to say that I'm starting to get uh, a little bit more concerned as uh, Gen AI kicks in a, a lot more. I mean, even for myself, right, I start to realize that why do I spend a lot of time thinking through everything? I just go to chat GPT and say, hey, chat GPT, you know, can mm. you generate this for me? I need this help. Um, come with seven points on this, five points on that, come with a brief outline. Yeah. And therein lies, right, a real issue because it becomes a cognitive crutch, right? It becomes mm. a tool where it kind of uh, helps us to not think so much, right? So Because you're accepting what the black box spits out for you. 
Yes. Mm. And I, I think for the slightly older generation, like maybe myself included, uh, <laughs> maybe not that big issue because we have lived a, a long part of our lives without such a tool. Mm. But I'm very, very concerned for the, the next generation, right? Is it a case of think less, do more? That means they think less, they just go ahead and do. Mm. Or even think less and lesser and lesser over time. Mm. I mean, you know, when I conducted my uh, my lessons uh, recently, just a few months ago for uh, grow undergrads, right? Mm. Um, in this course. So we actually got them to go into ChatGPT to just, you know, answer some questions, do an assignment and so on. And uh, I started uh, observing that actually they just jumped in, they pasted the entire question in uh, and just to get the answer without first thinking through what the question requires. Okay, what was that question? Okay. So, for example, if the question has to do with uh, what are the issues concerning, let's say, learning difficulties, right, that we need to address, right? Yes. Thankfully speaking, if without ChatGPT, you have to like spend the next five, ten minutes, right, scoping out mm. what those issues, whether what are the key points and also what you want to get into and what you don't want to get into, right? So, some of the key points there. Yes. But now with ChatGPT, right, the cognitive scoping is done for you. That's one. Then secondly, also, the boundaries are also set for you, meaning that, okay, you know, you just have these five points that you should be aware of, and then that's it. And then from there, uh, I observed that the students copy everything, obviously, right? And then they paste everything. Okay, after that, okay, choose that one or two points that are most salient, and then, okay, that's it. They expound on that. Mm. It's over. Mm. But the need to scope uh, is no longer relevant. Mm. And that becomes very dangerous because it's it's not just about accepting what ChatGPT tells us, but it's also the fact that we use less of our cognitive muscles, right? Yeah. That becomes a real danger. It's a bit like, you know, we, you drive long enough, uh, then after that, you, you need to walk from place to place when your car is broken down, right? It mm. gets a bit difficult then. Mm. Because you do it long enough. you using that. La. Correct, yeah. It becomes a lifestyle and it's no longer possible for you to use those cognitive muscles. Mm. So I wanted to park that thought because I think that argument actually has a lot of applications when it comes to investment decisions. But kind of going back into that spending decisions and you and let's say, you know, we mentioned that example of like, you know, why people buy like say expensive sneaker and and, and then, okay, they, because maybe their thought process is like, you know, I can post on Instagram and I can get more likes. And I thought that a good approach is the habit of constantly asking yourself why. And I'll give you an example. Again, let's just building on that example. Okay, today I want to buy expensive sneakers. Why? Because I can wear it, take a picture of myself, put it on Instagram, I'll get more likes. Then the next one, you ask yourself, why? Why do I want to get more likes? And that actually drives more introspection. Right? Why do you want to get more likes? Because, you know, is it stemming from insecurity? Is it because you're an influencer and for you, you actually get more money if you get more engagement on your social media posts? Like, why exactly is that? Because even the two choices that I mentioned take very different pathways, right? If it's the social media influencer post, then it's like, well, and good and then you you know continue your way but then if it's the part of you know I actually don't get any financial ROI from it I'm not even sure if there's an emotional ROI because sometimes if we're too sucked up into getting likes on social media like why do you want that and then then you kind of delve into deeper things of I feel validated when I'm liked by people then you have to go and ask yourself why do you feel validated only when you are liked by people. So I always find that getting to the root of why you act in a certain way, I think it's a helpful framework that I think that a lot of people can easily apply. It doesn't, it's not rocket science. And um, how do we derive utility on, on the things that we spend on? I think that might be a more thoughtful way of you know thinking of why we spend on things. Because let's say, even if we think about purchases, some things are fast depreciating assets. 
um, some things appreciate. But again, like, you know, how are we asking ourselves those questions? That's right, yeah. It's whether it's a case of investment or liability, right? And and I think that's a very, very good uh, framework actually asking why because uh, the subsequently you drill down to really what matters, right? After asking the fifth why or the sixth why. I think one big question that you may want to or listeners may want to consider is you know, whether you're operating on a, a deficit uh, model, meaning that, you know, somewhere maybe in the span of your past 24 hours at work or in the family and all that, you're losing uh losing credits okay so emo credits mm. psychological credits or you're getting stressed you can you know and and so with that right you have to replenish the credits right mm. yeah uh, and then that that could be one reason a very very strong reason why the the spending is is uh, committed because of the need to replenish the credit but if that's the case then you got to look at why you're losing those credits, right? Yeah, mm. and and that could be a, a much cheaper way of uh, not spending just by ensuring that you don't lose more credits, so as to speak. Like, don't get angry with people, mm. or don't you know let other people uh, anger you as much, and so on. Yeah, mm. yeah, and then moving on to the investment part of it, which I think is more interesting, and because because mm. you talked about the importance of flexing your cognitive muscle, and. If we look at the investment space, a lot of you know what has become popular in the last few years is, for example, like robo-advisors. They kind of come in as this group of players in the market. And as the name suggests, right, they offer you investment options after understanding your risk profile, your horizon to invest, you know, how much you have to invest and what are your expected returns. It understands you. And then it turns out recommended investment decisions for you. Of course, this is not to slam like robots or anything because it's not just robots, robots, right? Advisors as well. They are paid to help you make those investment decisions. And, you know, when we think about flexing our cognitive muscle, if we engage services like that, it's basically because we don't want to think. Even if you look at sometimes why... There are a lot of like decisions made on like like Reddit sometimes informs a lot of investment decisions, usually by like crypto bros, like people who are looking to ride the wave. It's sort of when you go there and you you already have like a few names already in terms of like stocks that you you might want to invest in. People are investing without necessarily knowing even the the really like drilled down financials of the business. They're kind of saying that okay, this is a good stock buy. So there's very little um Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but is it like a human want to not want to think? It's like probably a human want to focus on what you're good at. Mm. So for a person who might not have uh, invested as much in terms of his or her own understanding in a particular area, maybe because of bandwidth issues or maybe, you know, other people are investing also should just jump in and invest in something. Mm. Uh, then that becomes uh, potentially uh, a bit of a blind spot thing because... Uh, they jump in without thinking too hard or they rely on, uh, like you mentioned earlier, uh, robo-advisors and so on. Then they will either be staring at something that they're not so good at and they have to accept the fact that they may not know as much and so they will have to kind of uh, let the advisor or quote-unquote the expert do the, the work. And naturally, some have great faith in the advisors and, you know, I mean, that's uh, that's part of it, right? I mean, you're paying for that service. It's a whole range. There's a whole range, absolutely. And and there are some very good ones as well. Mm. Um, so, so obviously, for those who are a bit more committed to want to spend time to understand the entire space, then... And, and these are people who are willing to then face up to say, okay, I don't know enough about this. 
uh, I may have to, you know, make some mistakes and so on, buy some wrong stocks and that's fine. That's part of the journey and, and just be prepared for that. I think that's probably a more mature approach to this because uh, then you grow as a person, right? Not It's not just about stocks, right? It could be about many other things as well mm. and or real estate and so on. So so it's a, it's a bit about um, understanding ourselves and what we want to get into and mm. being willing to spend the time to, to get into that. Mm. Naturally, we don't have all the time in the world. So it's also a human desire to commit to areas that you probably can see some sort of a return, mm. right? Whether it's emotional, psychological, even family, mm-hmm. right? You want to spend time with people who like you, not people who don't like you, right? Mm. Um, so that's just very being very natural. It's, it's just being part of human, yeah. So going back to the, you know, just being cognitively aware, what are some errors that you've seen people make in the realm of money? Okay. Uh, just recently, my my daughter, she called it, right? She said she was scammed. Mm. She's using it very loosely. So we're all shocked, right? What do you mean by your scam? You How know, old text? is your daughter? First my daughter's only 14 mm. years old, right? Mm. And she said she was scammed on $1.50. Okay, <laughs> what's that? Like? Okay, fine, never mind. Mm. Um, but anyway, what happened was that uh, there was this old lady who, who walked up to she and her friend they were both sec, sec twos mm. and then outside the school and then asked for some money because she couldn't walk and so um, so the two of them very, being very kind hearted and so on gave, uh, each gave 150 right so it turned out to be $3 to the lady mm. uh, so the lady who apparently couldn't walk uh, promptly got up and walked to the bus stop to take a bus right mm. um, so my daughter felt really scammed she, she can't walk and then she actually you know that's <laughs> it okay look you know the walk, walk can have many different nations right that's one mm. but obviously she's an old lady so it's fine it's only 150 it's okay mm. uh, but she was really indignant my, my, my daughter was really indignant and she really felt like she was really cheated and so on because mm. she 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 really wanted to give out her goodwill mm. that also points me to the fact that a lot of people kind of take things for granted at face value and they think that things will happen the way they want to and that's probably the issue there uh, so how do we immunize ourselves, right? Number one is to build up our own emotional resilience. That means if bad things do happen, how do we then self-regulate and say, okay, it's all right, it's okay. You know, we learn from this and we are prepared to then see out what's um what's the lesson behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the lesson usually involves, uh, in, in my daughter's case, the reframing of what is can walk or cannot walk. Okay. Yeah, but that's at a simplistic level, right? But for adults who are investing and so on, then what's the reframing? Um... Uh, for example, I've invested in some stocks, right, which I never got out of because even though the, the prices were dropping and dropping, mm. I know eventually they, they listed. No, I have no idea what's <laughs> happening. I, I totally lost my low five figures uh, 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 sum, right? Mm. But that was a good lesson. But I, I think internally I was prepared to lose it, um, even though it's, it's, you know, it's a very sore <laughs> point. But mm. at the same time, I think um, partly because it was a very good lesson for me to mm. say, look, there needs to be a lower limit that I have to sell once it crosses that, right? Right? that mm. price point I have to sell mm. uh, so that was a very good lesson for me and, and it served me well I mean it's been almost 10-15 years since right Right. so it makes us number one immunize ourselves so that uh, we are able to self-regulate downstream we won't get too emo and buy some more mm. right that's going to be even worse right mm. and secondly right is that we start to extract what are the key points uh, in terms of our own uh, beliefs again right so yeah. I believe that the stock will come back up I believe that, you know, I never knew this thing that you can actually delist back then. Mm. Right? Uh, oh, I learned something. But the it also points to the, the fact that my, my beliefs were wrong, that yeah. it, will, it will definitely bounce back because, you know, SGX won't 
SGX wouldn't let you know any organization go bust. And mm. so all my videos are all thrown out window. I have to re look at my videos. I think that's where these two uh, benefits itself will probably help us to move forward. Mm. Yeah, I think like uh, I mean, of course, we're talking about now, stocks is just one of the various asset classes, right? But, you know, if we look at stocks itself, if people were to go into picking individual stocks, means that somehow it assumes that you understand the company to some extent. You have certain assumptions of why you think the price will rise. It could be an expansion of revenue. It could be an expansion of margins. And, and you know, this could be a factor of like, you need to have a, a stand on like how this business is going to expand. And just the habit of checking back tracking the stock, checking back, seeing if your assumptions still stand and, you know, even taking into account like what are the macro headwinds or tailwinds that could change your assumptions. And and for me, I mean, in the early days when I trained as an equity analyst, a lot of it was really testing your assumptions. So because I was on the buy side, you're not necess- there's no need for you to sell a stock, right? It, it's sort of like my boss back then, he really grilled me on like, why are you assuming certain things and how soft is that assumption? Can I really be have a really firm stance on it? Because I ultimately, you they want to see conviction in a certain stock idea. So I think that for me was like, a you know, it was an exercise that showed me how much thought that goes into stock investments, especially if you're a value investor and you go deep into, let's say, my 20 stocks in your portfolio. 20 is actually quite a lot if you're looking at the universe. And and when I think about that and the amount of work it took to have conviction of certain stocks, and when I look at the average person where that is not not their day job, then I was like, it's difficult for somebody who is not in the space to dedicate that kind of time outside of work to understand that certainly there are people who do that but you really need to be a aficionado like you need to really love the whole study of stocks and like really track the progress and like knowing when to exit knowing what are the downside risks knowing that companies can indeed delist and you can lose the whole sum even if it doesn't delist like the stock could be down for like 10 years before it comes back up again and like does not everybody has the same amount of ability to to be in the market for that long, especially if there are liquidity concerns. So there's so many cognitive muscles to flex, even in that one decision. But, you know, going back to the example of, you know, when you lost, let's say, that five figures um, in like a SGX listed stock and kind of tying that to the delete approach, like how, what would be a framework that you can offer for us to think back on investment decisions that we've made and how do we get out better from it? Again, very good question there, right? Uh, so typically, the delete approach right, has to do with uh, designing of error. So it's intentional uh, ex- uh, kind of experience or a process that you want to go through. You can design for others. Designing for yourself uh, sometimes get a little bit more difficult because you kind of know what the errors are. But again, I think, um, you know, now with uh, generative AI, right, there's a huge possibility of using that as a a partner in this together, right? So mm. uh, let me just mention a, a few of the key steps. There are actually seven steps. So I mentioned a few of these first. So first up is you have to collate and analyze the errors. Mm. I think, you know, as uh, previously as an expert in this space, right, uh, yourself, uh, no, not Jonas. expert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and definitely, I mean, even together with your boss, right, um, 
the errors become sort of ingrained in your entire uh, psyche because you kind of know, okay, back then when I bought this, you know, I bought that and so on, then there were some errors that kind of happened, but you thankfully got out in time or you didn't quite get out in time and so on. So all those quote-unquote errors, right, are actually somewhere at the back of your mind. So mm. how do you collate all of those and analyze? And uh, actually with uh, generated AI, you can actually pull out some of those past scenarios, right? Whether it's uh, stocks or whether it's scams and so on, actually there's a huge amount of a wealth of uh, information there pulled together and just put it into uh, ChatGPT. Now you can even upload a PDF document and then it will be able to summarize for you, mm. right? So once you're able to uh, analyze the errors, then you can kind of uh, get a sense, okay, when do people make certain errors, right? Then you start to design those errors into uh, the task. Okay? So you have errors and you have tasks. So the tasks uh, potentially would be things that you have to do, right, to to practice, right, avoiding getting into those errors, mm. um, so here I have an example in terms of budgeting errors, right? So what are some of the budgeting errors people make? Uh? Young people especially, mm. right? <laughs> okay, I use young loosely, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, so underestimating the cost, you know, sometimes like uh, I've heard of uh, some people who shop, do online shopping every day. So uh, underestimating the cost and say, hey, look, this is great, you know? Oh, then but then you buy and then you keep buying. And then uh, so so I've, I've heard of people who every other day, right, they go online and they just shop as part of a, a hobby almost, right? Mm. It's a routine and becomes an error because it's built into the entire scheme of things, right? Their daily lives and, mm. and, and buying something, you know, small is okay, but then once they start to chalk up, right, by the end of the month, actually it's quite a substantial sum, right? And yes. they, they, you know, may not have intended for that. So the assumption is that hey, actually, you know, online shopping is like, uh, you know, window shopping, it's not expensive, it's non-dangerous. Uh, yes and no, right? Because once it becomes your personal identity, then it does become a little bit more dangerous. So the uh, potential outcome that you want to achieve is to reframe your mindset, to reframe the mindset towards online shopping, right? To say, actually, it may not be that uh, risk-free after all. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's your task, right? You want to then say, rate yourselves, right? Rate your behavior from 1 to 10, right? Uh, In terms of the time and the budget that you spent, right? So at the start, in the middle of the month, at the end of the month, right? So then you see whether uh, actually during, uh, across the entire month, whether you actually have a difference in terms of those ratings, whether it's actually still non-dangerous, it's always a one versus a five. Sometimes, you know, oh, actually I overspent tonight. Okay, I think I have to give myself a seven, for example. And 10 is like, you know, you've blown it. Absolutely, right? You've blown your budget. Mm. So once you start doing that, then you start becoming like what uh, Jonas mentioned, the why, why, and why. Like, why do you want to buy so much? And don't you have that already in your cupboard somewhere? <laughs> you I'm, know? I'm sure we've all heard family discussions that go along that thread. Yeah, and what you want to do is to start collecting the data to test yourself and to check yourself. So so with that in mind, your task in this particular case is to then rate yourself, right? One to ten on mm. the every time you go online to shop, for example. Uh, then at the end of which, right, you start to look back. So the experience itself becomes also part of the reflection process. Okay. Mm. So once again, your error that you collated and analyzed. Number two is the task that you set for yourself. Uh, number three, then the experience which includes the reflection process, right? Mm. Then with that in mind, you can then say, okay, how can then I grow 
as a result of this entire experience, right? So the errors are intentionally set into this entire task for you to then uh, do that reframing. Mm. Yeah. So of course, uh, doing it to yourself a little bit more difficult. Uh, but if you can get ChatGPT to do for you, you know, ask ChatGPT to then uh, come up with different scenarios. Then you guess what the errors are, and then after that, ask ChatGPT, did I get it right? Or then you say, oh no, actually I intended this other error to be in place. And I say, oh, I never realized that too. You know, mm. it becomes very interesting. I've done it a few times. Uh, in fact, I, uh, I've used it for my class as well. Ask ChatGPT to create scenarios for my students to go through, mm. and then at the end, they come up with some suggestions what the errors are and then uh, then ChatGP will also likewise show what the actual errors that uh, he has designed to the scenarios mm. it becomes very interesting from uh, the checking point of view yeah do you think um, you know like the process that you outline right requires someone to be willing to look at their mistakes it applies to all kinds of decisions in life but sometimes there's a tendency of like let's say going back to the investment perspective if the, if the market is down people don't even want to open the app to look at it to be honest. Yeah. And usually, all these behaviors have to be preset, hmm. right? Before the emo, the emotions kick in. As you rightly pointed out, I mean, you know, I've been also in situations way back then, right? That, you know, you really don't look at the app and all that because you feel really <laughs> lousy, really bad, right? You feel like you're an absolute loser, right? And that's not the time to talk about error-based learning because it's a little <laughs> bit late. Psycholog- late and psychologically very damaging. You just can't deal with it, right? Mm. Um, so a lot of this uh, error-based learning and so on, you want to do it before. So that immunization kind of model, right? So, you know, you go for that jabs and before you get, you know, uh, sick in that sense. Mm. So so likewise, um, build up that resilience so that you, if you do get into that space where you need to then confront your errors right then you are able to someone confront and quickly sell for if you if you need to mm. uh, versus no I hold on I hold on hold on then after that okay that's it it's delisted and that's it that's the end of money right um, and, and I find that to be uh, useful the, the error based learning where you start um, developing uh, your metacognitive awareness right to potential errors mm-hmm. yeah I mean sometimes if you look hard at how people are trying to do scam education right so meaning mm. we prevent you know scammers from getting at us and you wonder every time you read newspapers how you know how did this person even get scammed in mm. this way it's like so silly but you look at it uh, this person is highly educated mm. etc etc right? oh man can it happen to me yeah possible you know mm-hmm. right and um and sometimes you you really wonder uh, what are the parameters involved. So so usually um, if you talk about error based learning, it is possible to collate all these errors, put it together, and then start immunizing ourselves so that downstream, and you know the scammers are getting more and more creative, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you never be able to tell what the next scam is going to look like, you know. Yes. But the key thing is the principles must be in place. So every time you get a sense saying something not quite right, stop there. Hmm. And you very often hear of these people who got scammed, right? They did realize something wasn't quite right, but they didn't know what and they moved ahead. Right. Yeah. So whenever you get this some, something... So for recently, for example, right, uh, I had to check myself because I got this email from this um, service provider that's located offshore, right? So one of those large platforms. And I said, you know, download this app to authenticate yourself. I said, wait, that sounds really fishy, right? Because this is the first time I've been using them for the past three years and so on. Mm. Never ever happened. So I wrote back to them. They didn't reply, right? So I refused to download the app mm. um, but eventually they did write back and then I sourced around I searched around and, and true enough it was really authenticate mm. uh, authentic 
So mm. I could download the app and, and move on. Mm. Um, but I was really happy myself because I checked. I didn't like, you know, because I was so busy. I got no time. Okay, I just download and, and, and be done with it. Because yeah. that would have been a huge mistake if it was really not uh, authentic. Yeah, I mean, going on to like financial scams. Obviously, you know, there's a very big... It's a very big space and of course there are certain um demographics or age groups that are more privy to it. But like you like you rightly said, you know, when we look at the recent cases, there are like highly highly educated people, people who work, people who are clearly technologically savvy. And all that lady did was to basically order some food on discount. Where it required her to download another app. There was even a human invention when somebody was like saying, Oh, don't worry, let me like handhold you through the process. And then it ended up to be like a mirroring app that when they took control of her phone, it was trying to open her bank accounts. And that's when she saw it like happening in front of her and then immediately called the banks to stop whatever transactions was taking place, right? But my point is, is that it's so clear that scammers are are, are becoming highly innovative, right? And with and, and and they can do that because of technological advancements. So if we look at tools now you know you can easily replicate someone's voice yes. for example Deepfake, yeah. or uh, even the even the quality of the scams that you see i mean it looks very very real when it looks like phishing scams are you kind of like make it more difficult to detect so you know when we talked about the, the delete approach of where we are collating our previous errors these are historical but then like scammers they are so highly innovative that you know Every time they put out a new scam product on the market, is something that people haven't seen before because they're very quickly learning how how the general public is catching on and then innovating to be ahead of the curve. Absolutely, right? So you probably need a scam team, right? Like uh, ethical scammers, right? Think of all the innovative scamming uh, options. And then, of course, don't release them to the market. Mm. But um, train I think credit to the, a lot of the bank officers, our, our fellow bank, uh, you know, workers and so on. They they are very very sharp. I've you know seen some of these stories. I think today's newspaper again, right? Mm. There's this bank uh, person who who could stop or prevent a scam from taking place. So their antenna are up. So there's a fair amount of probably uh, past incidents and so on or past cases that they are a bit more exposed to and they could then rethink their assumptions a bit more. So mm. how then do we scale this up? I think that's a big question mm. to um, the man on the street, right? Mm. And especially when we are not aware because you see people who are in the banks obviously are constantly in the bank and constantly, you know, looking at financial transactions and so they are probably a little bit more heightened in terms of their awareness. Mm. Uh, but if you are just like uh, waiting for the bus or MRT and then you have this quick text and all that, right? Click on the link and then that's it. Mm. Um, so it gets very difficult to be always, always be um, very cognitively or metacognitively aware. Um, but I think if the potential scam options are sort of at least distilled for people, then there is a possibility of people being a little bit more aware and prevent themselves from being scared. At least stop themselves from, you know, whenever they feel something is not quite right, stop. Mm. Okay, don't, don't act on it. It's okay. Take mm. a breather. Take another one hour or so. Go and check with, check with other people mm. before they do anything. Mm. And that helps a lot because very often uh, individually we you know just want to get things done. Yeah. But you know when you check with your spouse or check with you know somebody else, uh, then they say wait wait I think there's also something right. I agree with you. Let's wait. Mm. And it helps a lot to mm. always have a buddy to just check in with. Sort of like get a second opinion, or yes. third opinion, right? Yes, or even a third opinion. You're right. Yeah. Mm. 
Mm, okay. And you're absolutely right as well. The technology is amazing. I mean, nowadays voices can be replicated easily. So uh, apparently, you know, uh, there was a bit of a time lag, right? Because the person was typing in the words to say and then let the voice then repeat those words, right? So every time the other person on the line was like, yeah, come so strange. This person taking so long to respond to me because the person on the line had to type in the text. Yes. So that he can say. Mm. Yeah, so there was a split kind of maybe two second delay, right? Mm. Um, then you start wondering why, yeah? Mm. My, my usual, my son, you know, or my daughter or my whoever is taking a little longer to respond to my question, eh? Mm. Yeah. So things like, but you only know that the time lag is an issue if you know that there's such a technology. Yes. Otherwise, you think that maybe it's just a yeah, like it's a phone like, or oh, bandwidth, you know, bandwidth issue, right? Issue, yeah, yeah. lag, right? But if you think, hey, wait, there is a, such a technology as this, then you say, okay, I think I need to be aware of, mm. you know, possibly of this uh, being a scam for that, yeah, mm. matter. Mm. Uh, so in terms of like parting words, right? You know, when people read the delete approach what can they take out of it you know especially if you're thinking about you know in the realm of money yes there are maybe a few approaches one is how do you work with uh, those in your family or your colleagues and so on uh, sometimes you know with your spouse and your children and you want to help them to be a bit more financially savvy and, and all that picking out you know newspaper articles for example stories of not just scams but just you know interesting bits nuggets and all that I in fact when I read I still read a physical newspaper for, for that matter right mm. because I want my kids to read mm. um, so I still use a highlighter and highlight Wow. Yeah, okay. highlight and circle thing. So because I'm the first one to read, right? After that, they'll come in and read. So they'll see those points and, and it helps them a bit. Uh, then over family dinner and so on, then post those questions, especially reflective questions. If you can then say, uh, create another scenario for them, you know, then you can post that scenario to them. Uh, not so much to identify the error, but more so to identify their assumptions mm. and their values behind those uh, decisions or consequences that they may mm. encounter. Mm. Then that becomes very interesting, right? Because you're actually intentionally developing uh, the people around you to be financially a little bit more savvy. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I I think then for ourselves, uh, we just need to be a little bit more mindful. So asking those why, why and why questions will be useful. Uh, But at the same time, also distilling down to why did this person get scammed for the matter? Why did this person, you know, buy this stock? Uh, Or why why do these stocks then, you know, operate in this way? Or why am I budgeting in this manner, for example, Mm. right? What are my final goals that I want Mm. to achieve in life? Mm. So parting words wise, um, uh, I think if we can build in this metacognitive awareness into our daily lives, then I think we will probably not be taken over by AI, or at least our roles will not be taken over by AI, at least for a fair bit longer. Mm, got it. And for our listeners who want to find out about what you do, as well as you know, if they want to read the delete approach, where can they find you? Okay, they can go to worldscientific.com. I believe that's the URL. Anyway, I think it's going to be in the link as well. Mm. Uh, it's called the Delete Approach. Why Delete? D-E-L-E-T-E, right? So designing, D-E, uh, for learning, L-E, and then and teaching, so T-E. Mm. So, uh, and I think that's um, where we are looking at um, using errors in a very creative but also intentional manner to help ourselves uh, grow the metacognitive awareness especially. Mm. Thank you, Mr. Choi, again for coming on. Always a pleasure to have you on. Learn so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Many thanks as well to all of you out there for tuning in. This has been a fantastic conversation and we would definitely love to hear what you think about it. 
If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us through the email podcast at melisten.sg or at my Instagram at MissFitFi. Aside from that, if you enjoy what you're listening to and want to hear more, please help to spread and grow the show by subscribing on Me Listen or Apple Podcasts or by following on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the Building Financial Fitness Podcast is an original production from MediaCorp and recorded at Scape Live Studios, The Pod, powered by Audio-Technica and City Music. Episode production is done by Junus Yu, with editing and support by Danny Cordy and Gareth Fernandez. Once again, I'm your host and BFF, Junus Yu. Until the next time. <laughs>